exciting news. Tickets for the Conference on Religious Trauma, Court 2023, are now available. Also, if you're interested in an ad-free version of the Divorce and Religion podcast, come join me over on Patreon. Links for both are in the show notes. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Divorcing Religion podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. I do want to give a content warning uh, for today's episode. We probably will be discussing um, childhood sexual abuse. So there's your warning. If you need to uh, leave us, then I hope you'll tune again for our next episode. Today's guest is Angel DeSantis. Angel grew up in the apocalyptic Christian cult known as the Children of God. She managed to leave the cult and has been on a healing journey ever since by building her brain and sharing her thought processes with others. Angel is a mental health advocate, cult survivor, and storyteller, in addition to being a yoga teacher. She has a YouTube channel and has developed several courses to help others in recovery from religious and other forms of trauma. And I will provide links in the show notes for Angel's resources. Welcome, Angel. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It feels good to connect with other women who have walked uh, a difficult and challenging journey and who have been able to free themselves to escape uh, from the traumatizing backgrounds that they grew up in and are now focused on building healthy uh, secular lives moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, for me, it's really inspiring. And it's inspiring to me when anybody is able to make it out of something like this and, and heal themselves. And I think though, as women, we have sort of that extra layer to get through because the religion is so biased against women as like full autonomous human beings. Mm -hmm. So it is really nice to be able to connect and communicate and share like a lived experience and a like same, same, but different story. It's like the mm -hmm. same sort of points, but at different um, at different areas and like different timelines throughout the course of our life. So it's always. Yes. Really so, yes. And, and I was born into my um, religious environment. Were you born into yours? I was, yes. Which I think really alters the structure completely of your brain when they have you from birth and there is no before and after just your whole world and everything you know and how you operate is designed around this one center point. Yeah, it's like being hijacked. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like having our personality, our temperament, our life and worldview hijacked. Uh, and we we have no say in the matter. So yeah. the, the person that we become develops completely within that container of yeah. what uh, our parents or the high demand group or called what they expected uh, mm -hmm. of us. And we were not to deviate from mm -hmm. that. And so were you uh, in the United States or where was your growing up? So I was born in China and then I was raised in Japan because the cult I was in was international. Uh, it started here in Huntington Beach. I live in California. Um, but the authorities actually got wind that there was this guy who was like, they were going to get him on like tax evasion, tax fraud. Um, and like 
his daughter had also accused him of sexual abuse. So they were looking at him. So then he heard from the Lord that <laughs> he needed to, all his members needed to get out of America. So he came up with this phrase called America the whore. And he was like, mm-hmm. everyone needs to leave the whore because God's going to punish her for being a whore. So everyone left, most of the people left and it became an international cult. And so there were very few actual communes here in America for a long time. And so I grew up overseas in the communes, but we all spoke English because all the literature that he gave was always in English. And so I learned English and lived in this like weird culture in another country. So there's sort of a like one, two punch with the suppression that comes with the cults. And then also being in Japanese culture, which is also encourages suppression if it like deviates from social norms. So there was sort of like a really intense pressure to look right, perform right, even if like on the inside, there's nothing. So. Wow. That's a lot of pressure for Mm -hmm. a kid to grow up with. Um, I grew up being raised by my parents in the commune where you were living were your parents there? Did you have access to them? Could you just go to mommy or daddy if you hurt your knee or? Mm -hmm. So I lived with my parents when I was very young. And then when I was about five years old, they moved into, um, we moved into these huge communes. And so they would separate the, the parents from the children. And the idea was, so this cult was called, um, children of God. And then they rebranded to the family and then the family international family of love. And their whole concept was like, God is our father and we are all his children. So there shouldn't be a nuclear family unit because that's selfish. So they would separate parents and children very young. So I lived in these rooms with other kids, my age, and there would be an adult that wasn't your parent who was in charge of like a couple of five-year-olds or a couple of eight-year-olds, couple of nine-year-olds. So I don't remember seeing my dad for like years at that point, because he was a big leader. So he was always traveling. Um, And then my mom was always living like separate, like she didn't even stay in the same like building. So she was always somewhere separate and she was always being punished because she was very rebellious. So part of her punishment was also like not being able to see her children. So Mm. I would have to ask permission to go see her. And if someone was willing to take me over and my mom was acting right and I was acting right, then I could go get an hour with her. Um, But yeah, we were definitely separated and I was not raised by my parents. That's just devastating on so many levels and, and establishes such a feeling of unsafety and vulnerability. Um, Five years old to be separated from your parents. That's just terrible. So um, how did your parents come to be members of this cult then? Because it sounds so unnatural, but what I've learned is that nobody joins a cult. People join a good thing or a great community or a wonderful group. Yeah. So Um, my dad and mom joined for very different reasons. My dad lost his dad when he was about 12 years old. And the person who started this cult called himself dad. 
And my father had, I believe, tried to go to college and then dropped out after a year. So he was young. He was like 19. He was searching. And then all of a sudden there's this group that believes in God, which he did believe in God. His family was like Italian Irish, so very Catholic. Um, So you get the structure of God, which you recognize, and you're looking for structure and a father figure. And then all of a sudden there's a structure and a father figure and there's the opportunity to travel because they were like, we're doing really good things. We're like, you know, sharing the message of Jesus with the world. We're saving people's souls. This was also during like the hippie movement. So there were a lot of young people who were, I feel like directionless as like we all, (laughs) as we all are. Um, There's like that moment where you are very vulnerable And so they sort of snatched them up in that moment. And they had a formula of as soon as you join, they move you away from your family. Wow. He joined and they immediately moved him to like a different commune. And then they try and send you overseas as quickly as possible. And so he thought he was joining a movement and like finding friends and, you know, like-minded community and good people and stuff like that. And then my mom was born and raised in poverty in Indonesia. So she thought she was getting like a rich American boyfriend and a roof over her head. Um, She didn't grow up with any education. She like lived in a mud hut. So she thought she was joining like for um, like a successful group of entrepreneurs and friends. And, you know, she was getting a boyfriend and she felt really good. And it was going to be a very exciting life as opposed to the streets in Indonesia. Um, and then as soon as she joined, they did the same thing. They moved her away from her family and then she actually didn't see them again for like two decades. So, wow. Wow. So then your parents met while they were members of this cult. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. They had both, I think my dad had been a member for a couple of years and my mom met him like very soon after she joined. And And so then your mom wouldn't have even had a way to escape from the cult. If she was, poverty was part of her uh, existence, she would have no way to book an airplane ticket and get back home. No, I mean, there wouldn't be the education or the resources, which I do not think is an accident, you know? It's mm-hmm. not that they're out here recruiting people with resources to understand that they can do better. They're recruiting people who don't know. They're recruiting people with an obvious lack and they're preying on the human condition when it's at its weakest. And yes. that's very intentional. It's not accidental at all. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and we know that um, anyone can be vulnerable to uh cults it's it just uh often takes a transition point in our life so we're not on that even footing that we maybe usually would be maybe we've moved to a new city for college or we've lost a partner or a parent something or maybe we're struggling with addiction and poverty uh and and looking for help seeking help uh so in those moments of vulnerability that's when cults really shine and they just come right in snatch people up and there's often love bombing that that goes on and then like you said literally snatching people away moving them it's so insidious and they all follow that same pattern and they all have different reasons for doing it and will claim ignorance that they are doing this thing and it's like well then why do you all have the same pattern 
Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then particularly if the cult is Bible-based, <laughs> then they it's an extra added layer of protection because it's impolite yeah. to question people's uh, religious choices or religious uh, values. And that's been, that's horrifying because that prevents uh, people from seeing the abuse that is going on inside of the inside of the cult so so how old were you if you can remember when you started to uh either think something's not right here or i i wish i didn't have to live like this or did that even enter your consciousness so that didn't and that was something that i struggled with later in my recovery was feeling like so stupid for not Mm -hmm. seeing it but of course i didn't see it because I grew up in it and my mindset was very specifically designed not to see it. I was specifically deprived of education and taught how to be mentally ill. So I would think myself in circles and never see what was actually true. Um, So I actually never wanted to leave. And I had a boyfriend at the time that later became my husband and he wanted to go to school. He wanted to go to college and you weren't allowed to do any sort of higher education so in order to go he was going to have to leave and he asked me to go with him and this cult um, started by a pedophile so it was not a great structure and part of it was that you weren't allowed to say no to people who wanted to have sex with you um so i you know anyone could come up to me and be like hey jesus said that i'm gonna have sex with you and i would have to agree and so he wanted to leave and he wanted marriage to mean something and we both knew that um we really would have a terrible time so i wanted to leave because i wanted um that exclusivity of like not being preyed upon i wanted to be able to be with one person like that really appealed to me and there had been like a lot of strain in our relationship as we're like a young couple trying to navigate being a young couple and then having to like quote share him which is something they a term that they used um was really difficult for me so i wanted to go with him because i felt loved by him and i wanted to be married to him like exclusively and so because i loved him and i trusted him that was what got me out and then after i had been out for a few years because you know the first few years you're you're still in it your mind still operates on that same track and so to disrupt the track you need new information and new experiences so after being out for like three or four years that was when there had been enough new experiences and i had taken in enough information for the whole thing to start unraveling but i actually didn't want to leave initially wow wow so how old were you when you left with him i was 23 when i left Mm-hmm. And and you did you go to another country? Did you stay in we Japan? Stayed. We were in San Diego. Um, I had actually come over from Japan. So he actually grew up in Japan as well. Our parents knew each other in Japan, but we had never run across each other. But I knew of him because the cult was very small. Um, and when I got to the U.S., I met him the day that I landed. And then it was just like teenage romance but in a cult so a lot more turmoil mm-hmm. um but yeah so 
it was, it was a very interesting thing to, to, to go through and, and try and navigate. Right. Um, but we did meet here. We left from San Diego and we stayed in San Diego uh, because he got into a community college and then we kind of went from there. So we lived just like hand to mouth. We didn't know anyone when we left. So I had to borrow money from my mom who at that point my dad had thrown out of the cults because she was, um, she was rude to the mistress, you know? Um, so she had been thrown out. So she had been working at, as a nanny and I called her and I said, Hey, I think that my husband and I'm like, my boyfriend and I are going to leave and we need money. Otherwise, like I'm basically going to have to be a prostitute or a stripper. Like those are my options because I'm uneducated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she sent us $3,000, which was enough for first month's uh, rent and like a security deposit. Yes. And then he worked as a night security guard and I worked as a nanny and we figured it out. So um, how long after you were out, did you start to recognize that, uh, you know, that wasn't right and children should not be having sex with. I was a nanny Mm. and I think for me, it was watching other mothers like want to come home to their children and treat their children well mm-hmm. and of course when you my first job was terrible i found a woman who who was abusive mm-hmm. uh, to me and she would like hit her son in front of me but because of what i had grown up with i thought that was normal so i was mm-hmm. just like oh yeah she's hitting her kid and then she sent me a text being like hey i'm so sorry that i hit him in front of you i hope it didn't bother you And I hope that you still work for me. And of course, now I would be like, hell no. But at the time I was like, oh yeah, of course. But I thought it was odd that she acknowledged that she had done something wrong by hitting her child. And I was like, so people must know then on some level that you're not supposed to hit your child. Um, And after her, um, I did not last long in that job. I ended up working with this really wonderful family and the parents would race home to be with their children. And it was ne- something I'd never seen because, of course, being in this cult, the women would, we were not, not allowed to be on birth control. So women would have like 14 children. My mom had eight. Um, and you're not excited. You're exhausted. You don't really like your children. You have them and you love them because you're obligated to do so. But you don't rush home to them. You're never even out of the house. And so for me, watching people like really enjoy and love their children and speak kindly to them and not punish them, that to me was sort of the first thing of like, and I also didn't feel the need to like punish these kids, which is why I was a good nanny. Um, But it was interesting to me that I was like, oh, there's actually like a whole world out there that would agree that children are special. They are worth like rushing home to, they're worth taking care of and giving thought to. So I think that was seeing that in real time consistently. Cause first I was like, well, maybe they missed their kid today. But then it was like, over the course of years, I saw this same behavior of like, um, a constantly existing love and desire to nurture children. And I was like, (laughs) weird. Um, and then I also was able to start reading books that were non-religious and that really was the tipping point. What about um, TV? When you were uh, living on the 
compound. Did you have access to TV or when you when you left and you were living this free life, yeah. did you start? I mean, did you get ideas that way about, oh, maybe that's more normal okay. than what I grew up in? Or So, I mean, I knew there was an outside world. Mm. But I knew that they were wrong. Mm. And so, you know, it's one of those things that they, they have your brain from birth. So they're able to set up a structure. Mm-hmm. And so there's me and I'm living correctly. And then there's the outside world, which I can watch, but none of the outside world is meant for me. I am not meant to have any of these experiences. So even when I would watch TV, I would think, well, this is for them and it makes sense for them, but it doesn't actually make sense in the real world, which is my world, you know? And it's like, oh, these people who like pretend to be in love, like these couples who like pretend to like each other or these parents who pretend to like their children. And, you know, these people who are just doing it all for show, as opposed to like real people who do it for God and who live their life correctly, understand that like, you do need to talk down to people to keep them in line. You do need to punish people when they're wrong, you know? So even though I saw it on TV, there was still that thing in my brain of like, this is not actually real life. This is TV by systemites, which is anyone who's like them. Um, and none of it is for me. So growing up, we only watched like religious stuff and like Bible movies and the cult had this whole production that they would constantly send out religious material. So I grew up watching that and religious movies. Um, and so even after I was out, like the Kardashians were super famous, you know, at that time. And I remember watching a couple episodes and then just being like, I can't stomach it because these people are like, they're so fake and they're so this, and they're the epitome of like, what I shouldn't be because I should be a good woman and like nothing like them, you know, and it's still, you're still policing yourself and you're still using these metrics, these old metrics that are meant to separate, you know, the, the wheat from the chaff, the good Mm -hmm. from the bad, as opposed to just understanding that we're all just having a a human experience. My Mm -hmm. experience is not better. I am not better or worse, but that was the metric that was set up in my brain. So it still didn't allow me to take in information. I just like watched and judged information without realizing that I was doing it. And so I'm thinking back to your folks then, because neither of them grew up on the compound or, or, uh, and so they become members of this, uh, cult. Um, and then they start gaining awareness that mm-hmm. uh, sex with children is being encouraged yeah. in the group. Um, do you know if there was any, uh, you know, any thought of we shouldn't be here, we can't do this, we've got to get the kids to safety, or by that time they were so kind of beaten down and indoctrinated yeah. that it, they just didn't consider so- it? I hold my dad to a much higher standard because he could read the literature. My mother could not read the literature. There were comics, um, but she had also grown up uneducated herself and dealing with her own stuff. And she also didn't know, like she also like never hit us growing up. She also didn't really see us or spend time with us growing up. Uh, But she was definitely the kinder parent And when I told her like explicitly one night, like this is what happened and you kept us in this, she 
did not know and she freaked out and she then called the rest of my siblings to see if it had happened to them and she um went through sort of a pretty bad like breakdown because she actually did not know the extent Mm -hmm. of it like she knew we would get spankings and stuff like that um but it was a really like terrible realization for her when she realized it which for me i still am like how can you not realize it Mm -hmm. like how do you not know but -hmm. at the same time she was pregnant or nursing for like 18 years all the while her leadership husband was off having affairs and you know dehumanizing her and so she was in a struggle of her own Mm -hmm. um but she always i think did her best as a mom to like listen and protect us um and then with my dad i hold him to a higher standard because he could read the literature yes you know Mm -hmm. um and he doesn't like being held to a higher standard Mm -hmm. and i did have a conversation with him where i asked him point blank like you had like five daughters um he had more but he started with Mm -hmm. five daughters Mm -hmm. Um, and you're raising us in something where the literature is literally it's like it's literally saying like you can have sex with kids. Kids love sex. Like this is stuff that's in the literature. And I asked him point blank and he said, no, it's not. And I was like, what do you mean? No, it's not. I never saw any of that. And I was like, I sat with you when they sent out, they would send out these things called the purge. And we would have to, because the authorities kept raiding our communes, they kept taking kids away. So we would have to go through, get all our literature and then like cut out the pages that like showed adults having sex with children or white out the parts that it's like kids can have all the sex they want like we would wipe that out and they would be like you know green comic book page 60 the panel like three down to the left and we would go cut that one out and so i did these projects with him in the room and then we would set them on fire and that way we could claim that we had no literature and when i had this conversation with him i had already been out of the cult so i was a systemite And he was like, I never saw any of that. And I was like, I was there in the room with you when we did the purges. And he was like, I don't know what you're you're talking about. Wow. Like, okay. Then that's Mm -hmm. the end of the conversation, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can't go any further with someone who can look you in the face and lie to you and tell you, no, you did not experience that. And I have no idea what you're saying. And I was just like, okay. Is he still a member? He is, yeah. And did any of your siblings make it out? They all did. So that's the victory story. That's wonderful. Everyone made it out. Um, So that feels really, really good. The last one um, made it out fairly recently. Um, It was the youngest and they made it out. And it feels like such a relief. I think all of us just are like, because he made it out of the country and like, a lot of them had left, but they hadn't left the premises. Like they still were living in proximity or they were still in the country. And for me, I think it's really important to just have a completely different experience. And mm-hmm. as much as it is devastating to have a before and after, have a before and after, right? you know, so that right. you can start experiencing something completely outside what you know. And so they have made it out and they are now experiencing something mm-hmm. completely different. And that feels really good. Were you able to um, maintain contact with them after you left? Were they, when they, when they were thinking of leaving, could they reach out to you and say, I want to get out? Yes. 
um, we would email. So that was really nice. And it was one of those things where um, you're like not supposed to, and it's taboo, but we also like we're siblings, you know? So it was like, they want to email me, they're going to email me. And uh, this, this cult I feel was having just like constant identity crisis because they always wanted to be cool. And, you know, when someone is insecure, it's very easy to press their buttons. And I feel like the cult as a whole was incredibly insecure. So they were, you know, there were people that would accuse them of like, oh, you're a cult because you won't let us access the internet. And then they would be like, you know what? We let you access the internet. So that's how you know we're not a cult. And now you really need to stay because this is proof that we're not a cult. And it was like, well, you know, people in a cult would do this and they'd be like, well, we're not going to do that. And so because of their like desperation and narcissism and their desire to be liked, um, they really just shot themselves in the foot. And so thankfully I was able to keep a line of communication with my siblings. I'm so glad what, I mean, that's potentially has saved lives than being able to have contact with you and for you to share with them. Here are some things that might be difficult for you when you're adjusting to society outside of uh, this group, because it has to be a shock. Yeah. I think, um, I think we're just all very naturally suspicious. And Mm -hmm. I think the shock is that everyone is good. And you're like, (laughs) and it's like, if a stranger comes up to you and hits you, you can charge them with assaults. Like that's not a normal thing. People to like walk by you and just like, hit you against the wall and tell you to change your fucking face and keep going. Like, that's not normal. That's assaults, you know? And then also realizing that people all agree that that's assaults and anyone who witnesses that will actually be on your side, not the side of the oppressor. Because of course, throughout the, the, throughout the course of our whole life, everyone is on the side of the oppressor. And Mm -hmm. so you have no, you have no recourse. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden having recourse and then it's the slow sort of testing of like, well, let me just share this one little thing with my friend and see how they react. And they react like really on your side and really like being like, how can I go to bat for you? And then it's being like, oh, I didn't know that you would go to bat for me. And like, okay, so it's okay that I'm having these feelings or it's okay that, you know, this or that. And so it's sort of this slow learning process of that the world is a safe place. The world that we were in was not, but this one is one that we can create. So you can now create an entire world that supports you and that supports your, your humanity and that supports your growth and and supports your expansion as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's such a beautiful, just feels like you can take a, take a breath, take a deep breath. And so, um, Did you seek out um, secular therapy or, 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 or did you jump from one group to another group? Cause I know Uh, that's something that happens too. Yeah. And so I started yoga and I was very aware. Like I, I tell people whenever they invite me to stuff, I'm like, I'm on a strict one and done policy when it comes to cults. And so in the (laughs) yoga world, there is a lot of like the guru. Yeah. And I have taken uh, extreme measures just to stay away. And my whole thing was like, never again will I put myself in a position where someone is telling me how I should live. Like never, 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 never. Even these gurus being like, oh, well, here's how you should eat. And here's how, even if it was good advice, I'd be like, 
yeah, no. Like, why is there another old man telling me how I'm supposed to dress, how I'm supposed to look, how I'm supposed to act right? Like, absolutely not. So that kept me from a lot of that, which means that I was doing well. So I felt that I was doing great. And then I started reading. And so my mind started expanding. And so I thought, well, I don't need therapy. Obviously, I'm doing really good. And I'm learning a lot from these books. So these books are my therapy. And I started journaling a lot and doing self-inquiry. And because of that, I was able to get myself out of, to make the decision to get out of the marriage. And once I did that, I remember sitting in my car after saying that I wanted a divorce and then being like, okay, I can acknowledge that I grew up in a cult. And I can also acknowledge that now I'm initiating a divorce. And like, given those two like semi heavy things, I guess it would make sense for me to go to therapy and just ask the therapist if they think I need therapy. Cause I kind of feel like pretty good still, but let me just ask them if they think now's a good time, you know? So I found this really wonderful woman in Austin and she did payment on a sliding scale, which was the only reason that I could afford it. Yes. And I told her, and I was just like, started off by being like, hi, like, just so you know, like I'm fine, but like, here's like some stuff that I've been through. But what you really need to know is that like, I'm fine. And she was, <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, she just handed me a list. Um, cause she said something about PTSD and I was like, Oh no, 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 I'm not a soldier. So like, I think that you think that I'm struggling and I just want you to know that like, I'm not cause I'm fine. And she just handed me a list of PTSD symptoms. And she was like, just check off the ones that apply to you. And I looked at the list and I could check off every single one, except for the one with like shell shock. And I was just like, Oh, but like, yes, these apply, but that doesn't mean, and she was like, no, 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 no. Like, think about it. If you can, if you can tick off like every box mm-hmm. then maybe there's something. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I saw her until I moved from Austin. So I saw her for about a year, um, which was so, so helpful. She was very compassionate, very loving and understanding and, and really what I needed. And I also just created a program for myself of like journaling and checking in and building my own brain and making sure that the structures were working and my thought algorithms were correct. And so I really started to invest in my own, like, am I mentally healthy? And of course, when you're doing all that, then I think, well, yeah, I'm mentally healthy because if I was mentally unwell, I wouldn't be doing this practice. Like I wouldn't have the, the like, reference point, I guess, to do these things. So then when I moved to LA from Austin, I stopped therapy. I couldn't afford it. Um, and I was like, I'm doing pretty good. Um, so I didn't go to therapy then for about two years, there was a gap. And then, um, you know, life did its life thing where it takes you really high and then it aggressively throws you at the ground just so everything shatters again mm-hmm. and everything shattered aggressively again in a way that I knew I went screaming back to therapy. Like oh. as soon as it happened, I immediately was like, I need to go back to therapy because there's something here. There's a pattern that I repeated that I don't see. I didn't see it. And there's something that I'm doing that I don't know that I'm doing. 
because I think that I'm doing well. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me go back and just have the therapist tell me what they see that I don't see. And so that was my mindset going back to it was, was understanding that like the nature of trauma is that it colors your lens and the nature of therapy is that it starts to give you different viewpoints. And perhaps as you do that, you can start to clear your lens. And so looking at it in that way, it wasn't that I was broken. So I need therapy. It was just, can you help me see the situation better? Yes. I've been with this therapist now for about five years. um, And it's been incredible. And I've been able to see the pattern that like almost killed me. And I've been able to undo a lot of stuff to get to the point now to begin doing emotional work, which was something that I just never, you couldn't have told me ever to fix emotional stuff. Because for me, I was like, the emotional stuff is not broken. The logic and the thought is broken. And it's true, it was. Um, But at the same time, growing up in the environment where all of your emotions are used against you, they, they are hurt and they need to be repaired. And so I think sticking with the therapy for long enough to get through all the mind stuff, then you can start to head into the heart. And that's kind of the point in my journey where I'm at now, which is like this year, I want to become a little bit more emotionally intelligent, which I fully thought that I was, but now we know better. (laughs) Wow. And so when along that journey, um, did you develop your own uh, course material to be able to help people? When did you start your YouTube channel? So I started YouTube um, 2020 because I had two weeks off for this pandemic. Um, And I just thought that I wanted to share it because I thought that everybody did this because everyone had access to education. So when I started building my own brain, I thought, well, this is something that I have to do and I'm behind. Everyone else has this information. So everyone has their own um, process of like vetting themselves and everyone else has a, a proper thought pattern and I don't. So I created this thing to help me think thoughts all the way through, find their breaking points. And if the thought I could only pull like this far before it broke, then it wasn't a believable thing. And I couldn't base my reality on that. But if I could have a thought or a belief and pull it really far and it only broke at like extreme ends of the spectrum, then that thought would then be added to like the new thought patterns that I was creating. And I just thought that the reason I was able to come up with that was because I now had access to information. And I thought everyone learned this in school. (laughs) (laughs) No. Then I started sharing it and I realized that people didn't do it and that baffled me. And I was like, why don't you do it? you've had the information. I haven't had the information. Um, and then it was just that realization of like, okay, well then let, let me just share it because it is something that's so useful to me. And so I started the YouTube in 2020 after I felt, um, I think for me, the ability to express it clearly was something that I wanted to have down before I started the YouTube, uh, the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And once I felt like, okay, I do have the tools of language to be able to express and give context, now I can offer that out. So that was that was the timeline of that. Wow. And um, you mentioned uh, inquiry, personal inquiry, asking yourself uh, 
questions too to stimulate um, thought or figure yes. out what's really going on uh, inside. Um, has this remained part of your process and part of the program that you have set up now? So now I have an email list that I um, send out and the design is a compass and it's Northeast, Southwest. And North, you look at your goals. East, you look at your relationships. South, you look at like past traumas, things that are still blocking you. And West, you look at the relationship to yourself. And we just kind of go around the compass, checking in on all of these areas of ourself. And it's all through self-inquiry. So I will ask a question. So this week, for example, we're in South week. And the question is like, what lie do you still believe about yourself? Mm. And it's interesting because, you know, of course, the premise of the question that I pose um, is that you do have a lie that you're still believing. And the people who kind of get caught up in the languaging, that might sort of block them. But if you're willing to understand, like, it's just a question, then you're like, huh, is there a lie that I still believe? And then you ask yourself the question. And the thing about questions is because of how your brain works, you will look for the answer. That's just like how the brain works. If I ask you a question, like what's, you know, two plus two, you're not going to start thinking about elephants. You're going to run the equation. What is two plus two? And so it's going off of like working with the brain instead of against it. Mm -hmm. Instead of really looking at like and obsessing about these things, it's just, it's a simple question. Answer the question what's there and you don't need to tell me your answer and i think that's the other thing that's really important and allows people to do the work and feel safe is that like you don't need to tell me this has to do with yourself like i know my answer i shared it um but it's that thing of like this is stuff that you need to know for you it's valuable for you and i share the stuff that is valuable for me um but everyone has their own world everyone has their own thought patterns everyone has their own makeup and so an interesting like thought-provoking question will allow you to look at your inner resource and when you consistently do that you find that you have like a deep unending well of inner resource and that's the thing that i'm trying to get at is that like don't look outside look at you because everything is already here you do already think well, you already have a gut instinct, you already have your own personal intelligence. And in spite of what you've been told, that is enough. And that's um, when we grow up in a, a closed system, that's also part of a high demand um, group uh, or cult, particularly a religious oriented one. Um, we are taught to constantly uh, reject our own if we feel that something is uh, scary or something's not right or whatever. Uh, we're not to trust ourselves because yeah. the heart is deceitful above all else. Um, and so that in itself is such a, a big thing to uh, cope with. And then, of course, recognizing autonomy and consent because again in those closed groups those aren't things that get um discussed or they're certainly not things that are elevated and encouraged yeah very much so mm. wow my mind is just uh still thinking about your compass idea i think that is such a beautiful uh 
metaphor <laughs> for you to be using. And this is a, is a new program that you've released also. So this is like the email list because in doing the YouTube channel, uh, I actually stopped putting out videos. I, I did like a video a week for about two years. And then I realized that I was having to revisit a lot of the same topics. And I just mm. thought this isn't conducive to growth um, on my end or on um, anybody's end who's coming out of something. So the idea of healing, so you want to get past the thing that you're trying to get past. And so I feel like I had covered the subject from a lot of different angles. And I was ready, like as a teacher, to move to the next phase, which is like, how do I integrate a healing practice into my life as opposed to why is this thing trying to kill me? Like it's a different plane of existence. And so once you realize, well, this thing is no longer trying to kill you and you sort of catch yourself up to the present, then it's like, well, from here, from this present moment, what do I need? And it's like, well, you need a healing practice that doesn't feel like it's killing you. So mm. I will create a platform where it's no longer about like trying to get away. It's more about trying to create yourself and like, how can you create the best version of yourself um, in sort of a playful way, not needing to be like, am I getting it right? It's like, no, once you're past all of that, and once you understand that this whole thing is a dumpster fire and we're all going to die, <laughs> it should free you up to play a little bit. Mm. You know, it should free you up to be like, oh yeah, am I having a good time? <laughs> and like, is my brain having a good time? Is my body having a good time? Is my heart having a good time? And it's just the sort of check-in practice of call and response. You call, something responds. And it's like, how can we tell ourselves better stories? And how can we have a better time checking in on all these points of ourselves, understanding that like, you're never done. There's always going to be a, a new fun question to ask in those same buckets, because those are just like human buckets. Like we are always going to be having something in our relationships. We are always going to be having something in our goals, something with our past and something with ourselves. Like that's just a human experience. It's not something that needs to be fixed, but do you have a practice to address it? So that for me was the thing I wanted to create. Like now that we are caught up to the present, where do we go from here? So I feel like the YouTube journey was sort of um, catching people up from like the realizing you're in trauma and then having like the anger that arises, the confusion that arises. And I have just like two years of, of sort of undoing all of that. And then it's like the next step is this sort of compass work. I call it the process. And it's just the process of like looking through yourself and sorting through everything that that's there. Um, yeah. In a way that feels a little bit lighter. Do people need to be uh, at a certain stage in their own um, healing and understanding before they uh, undertake the process? Yes. I believe that you do need to be at the stage where you realize it's not that serious. You know, it's just, it's a question and it's an answer. It's not true or false. It's not good or evil. It's not black or white. It's not, oh, she asked a bad question, so she's a bad person, or I gave a bad response, so I'm a bad person. Right. It's, huh, interesting. I didn't mm -hmm. know that was there, 
or like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's interesting that I have resistance to this. Or like, it's interesting that I think this is brilliant. Like, why do I think that? And less judgment of self, I think, Mm -hmm. is the requirement. Because I think when you have a lot of very harsh judgment towards yourself, you take stuff like this so seriously. And Mm -hmm. then when you find something that you consider a very serious matter, then I think the natural inclination is to then put the the burden of proof or the burden of solving it on the person who exposed it. And it's like, no, that was all you. Like that was a big internal journey that you took and you still have to stay on that internal journey. Again, it's that thing of like um, externalizing solving the problem versus internalizing solving the problem, which is of course also not a problem. It's just a thing. It's just something mm. we noticed today. So, mm-hmm. so um, we need to, <clears throat> pardon me, mature past our fundamentalist yeah. mindset that that was imposed on us within that uh, group, that the yeah. whole uh, authoritarian rigidity, yeah. binary um, thinking. So yeah. to have reached attained a certain degree of uh, maturity or uh, in our own healing. Um, mm. And then we might really find the process to be invaluable. I have just enjoyed this conversation so much with yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you have any practices that you do that continue to like bump your trajectory towards healing? Cause I think the natural thing when you move slow or when you stop is the trajectory automatically bumps down. So how do you like keep it on its trajectory? Um, for me, uh, writing has been very, um, helpful. So I developed the divorcing religion workshop once I had been, um, out of my own religion and religious mindset, uh, for a suitable enough amount of time and gone to counseling school to recognize my own, uh, areas that had been wounded and how I healed them so then writing that workshop was cathartic and helpful <clears throat> and then after pardon me after a couple of years of that uh deciding you know what uh, there's a broader there's more people that i want to reach with the whole concept of religious trauma syndrome and recovery and at that point i said let's let's do conferences so then there's research involved because i've never done these things before and uh being able to give myself permission to play in a larger field and and it's knowing that it's possible i could do something it it could be a total flop and it could be and i just have to be okay with that and that it's not it's not a reflection of me it doesn't mean that i'm a terrible person maybe i didn't know enough about marketing or about um something else um so i feel like um incorporating more fun into my life has been something i've had to uh work at because i came out of a very serious mindset always having to be about my father's business that whole sort of thing so it's been a it has been an unfolding uh and a process for me and giving myself permission to just keep exploring and being curious and the writing for me really helps tie it all together being able to write and share that writing with other people 
that who may or may not uh, resonate with it, but not feeling if they if the feedback is um, not entirely positive or not what I'd hoped, not taking it personally. Yeah, because recognizing they're at a different point on their journey. Right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. How can people find you? Um, you can go to theprocessbyangel.com or you can just search my name. Um, I'm also on Instagram as, as uh, what is angel doing in case you ever wonder what am I doing? <laughs> um, and then you can also sign up for the email list. And again, it's um, you get a question every week and a little story because I'm also trying to get better at writing. Um, so it's usually just a little story and then the question pertaining to the story. So you can okay. find and then on your website also uh, about the process, people can see some of the course, the courses that you have developed, some specific um, things that, that you'll be looking at or going through with people or that they'll be going through. Yeah, so I have the religious trauma recovery process, mm-hmm. most popular. Um, and again, it's all self-inquiry based and it's you can just go through it at your own pace. Um, I have the patriarchal recovery process, which I think is super, super important. Super, treats women and the set point for your life is that you need to give it up and so i think that one is like so so important for women just to take back like your life is yours it belongs to you and it's precious and it's valuable and you deserve access to your own life um and then i also have a childhood sexual trauma recovery process because i know a lot of us have experienced that with god mixed in so those are the three processes that i have that i think are really important and i hope that they are useful to people and you can also that through the process by angel.com yes thank you that those sound tremendous each one of those topics um was yoga helpful for you in relation to uh recovery from childhood sexual trauma yeah so yoga was the first place that i could get my nervous system to rest and i had never known what it was like to feel safe in a room of strangers like never and so feeling that i think it was the practice of constantly resetting my nervous system and bringing it to a calm state which i think was like invaluable in my recovery because i didn't even realize that's what i was doing and now that i'm far enough away from it i'm like oh that's what i was doing and now my resting heart rate is not 95 you know now it's like 60, 55. Um, and that was because I had a practice of resetting the nervous system through yoga. So it was really, really important for me to do that. So powerful. Well, thank you again for uh, for joining me. This has just the hour has gone by <laughs> so oh, quickly. Oh, so I, I would really like to uh, to keep in touch. And I think your course sounds interesting. I'd be interested in taking it uh, myself. So That's thank great. you for putting that out in the world. Uh, and I want to thank everyone who's tuned in to watch and listen to us today on the Divorcing Religion podcast. I do work with clients clients one-on-one and I do offer a sliding scale and you can go to my website divorcing-religion.com okay everyone take care we'll see you again soon thanks angel Thanks.